This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. a Bible, please raise your hand so we can get you a Bible. We are in Matthew chapter 10 this morning, and I'd like for you to be able to follow along if you would like also. Continuing our Forsaking Kingdom series through the Gospel of Matthew, today we're in like I said, Matthew chapter 10, but we're going to back up and look at a couple verses in Matthew chapter 9. The title of today's message is Being Ambassadors. How many of you know what it is to be an ambassador? How many of you know what an ambassador is? Well, because only three people raise their hands, I have the definition for you. You're welcome. Here's the definition of ambassador. Yeah, right? Ambassador is an accredited diplomat set by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. And I'm here to tell you this morning that not only are you an ambassador, but you are a foreigner. You're a foreigner? Yeah, you're you're a, a foreigner. You're a citizen of a different place than you think you are. You think I'm American citizen. Yeah, okay, but but your citizenship in heaven, your your citizenship in the kingdom of God supersedes and is greater than any kind of citizenship that you can have on earth. And as a citizen, you're not only called to do things differently, your whole process of thinking has changed from what it used to be. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to look at some of the most challenging verses in any of the Gospels this morning. Some verses that I've had people over the years, over and over again, come to me and say, how can Jesus, we're talking about who? How can Jesus? Jesus say these things, and this is why. This is why. Because your citizenship is not an earthly citizenship, and you should be thinking differently than you're thinking. And spoiler alert, I'm going to get all political today. Even though I'm not allowed to talk about politics, I'm going to talk about it just for fun. Yeah. Challenge accepted. Let's go to the Lord in prayer to pray for you guys. Pray for me before I say anything. Okay. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, God. We thank you that we can come here together, gathered in your name, reading your word, and we have something that we can receive. We can receive your absolute truth. We can get answers to questions that your word fully addresses. It always has. And maybe sometimes it's just us being uncomfortable with the answers. But you do answer the questions. We thank you, Father, for that time of worship that we can offer you the fruit of our lips. This time of being in your word, 
that we would be not only hearers of your word, but we would be doers of your word as well, and that, that the application of your word would be like sweet worship to you, that it would be, not be like, that it would be. And Father, we also thank you for the tithes and offerings that are given to you, that they would be done in a act or a form of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Being an ambassador is a very important concept for us, and it does set us apart. It makes us look very differently from everybody else. Um, the political thing that I wanted to say was, is, and always will be. No, I'm just kidding. The political thing that I was going to say is that one of the hot-button topics of this election coming up, if you don't know this already, one of the hot-button topics is immigration. Now, I now, I was joking, like I'm just being silly about talking about politics and stuff. I really don't want to offend anybody, but but you don't really know what it's like to be an immigrant until you're an immigrant. Can I get a witness? Has anybody here ever been an immigrant before? My wife and I were immigrants for 10 years in Eastern Europe. And so when I tell you I've traveled all over the world, I've been different countries, had to apply for visas, and, and you don't know what it's like to be an immigrant until you're an immigrant. <laughs> Until you're in a foreign country going through the process. So, you know, I can't say silly blanket statements like everybody needs to be an immigrant so we can sympathize with immigrants because that's silly. That's not possible, is it, right? But, but we do need to have a little bit of empathy. I will say that the United States of America treats immigrants the best in the entire world. I will say that you have no idea what it's like to be an immigrant to any country in the world compared to the United States of America. When we lived in Eastern Europe and I got a car, we had to register our car. And in the country that we lived in, if you were a foreigner, do you know what they did when you registered your car? They would give you green license plates. Everybody else in the country has black license plates. Except for you, because you're an immigrant, makes profiling a lot easier, right? So you would get pulled over more, you'd get towed more, you'd get tickets, more tickets, because you were a foreigner. And you think, like me telling you that t today, you, you don't believe me. Yeah, right, that's, that's not possible. It's possible! I would apply for our visa do you know how long the process was to get a visa to live in the country? I'm not even talking about like becoming a citizen. I'm talking about just being able to legally be there. Most of the missionaries we knew lived there illegally. I'm like, we're not going to do it illegally. We're going to do it. You know how long it would take? It would take me nine months after applying to get my visa. They let me stay during the process. Thank God, right? Nine months to get my visa, and as soon as I got it, I would start to have to reapply for the next three months to be in the time window to wait nine months to get my visa again. I got my car towed one time. Because if you have a green license plate, if the guy in, in front of you parks illegally and you park legally, they'll tow you because you got green plates. But I didn't have green plates because 
I don't like profiling. So I asked my Croatian friend if he would register in his name and I would be on it as like an adder, you know, and he did that for me. So I got towed anyway because I probably broke the law. I'm sorry to disappoint everybody this morning, but sometimes I do things that are not smart. So I got towed and I go in and I'm talking to the guy, that the, 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 the company that towed my car. True story. Speaking to him in Croatian, right? We're having a conversation in Croatian. I speak, Grace and I both speak Croatian fluently. And um, he asks for my identification. I pull out my passport. As soon as I gave him my passport, he said, oh, I'm sorry. The fee for your vehicle is not, not $250. It's now 700 And I said, why? He said, because you're a foreigner. I said, listen, I'm talking to you in your language. You can't charge me more. I live here. He said, that'll be $700 or you're not getting your car back. I went into a grocery store on one of the islands. We were visiting some of our friends, having a very jovial conversation with um, the lady that was checking me out in Croatian. She yells to the back room to her manager, hey, do we charge him the local rate or the tourist rate? The manager said, the tourist rate. They had different buttons and they, you know what they do? They leave the cash, cash register open so that each transaction isn't recorded. They also won't give you a receipt. I had this, 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 uh, uh, this weird tick. You guys know like when something bothers you and it has to be a certain way. I had this weird thing. I recorded, because we were so broke, I, had, I recorded everything. I had receipts and spreadsheets for every single expense that we had. And if I went to a store and I checked out and, I, and, and they said, okay, have a nice day. I said, I, I need my receipt. There were certain places that refused to give you a receipt. No, we are not giving you a receipt. So they didn't have to record it, so they didn't have to pay taxes on it. And I, more than one time, I've got all my stuff. I need a receipt. No, we're not. I said, give me a receipt, please. I want a receipt. They refused. I said, take all this stuff back. Give me my money back and let me go to a different store. They would take everything back. They would refund me the money that I had already given them, and they would they would say, all right, have a nice day. And, and I would leave and go to a different store to get my stuff. So when you talk about corruption and you know, immigration and how you, you treat people, the, you, you really have to be in that kind of situation to fully understand the way that people are treated. I have a friend in Austria that goes to court. He goes to court before a judge to testify on behalf of immigrants that have not only come into the country, but are attending their church. That they are who they say they are. Most of them are from the Middle East and they're fleeing because of religious persecution and nobody wants them. You're not welcome here. They're literally walking from the Middle East to Central Europe to get away from religious persecution and nobody wants to take them. But my friend, who loves Jesus, has an otherworldly mentality that is not connected to a governmental system of this earth, and therefore he treats people differently. And the reason that I'm saying all this is not to go all crazy political on you. It's to remind me, first and foremost, but then also you, us, that we too are ambassadors of a different country. 
We don't process things the way that we should as Americans. We process things as Christians, as part of the kingdom of God. And this makes so much sense in our Forsaken Kingdom series because this is what Matthew's presenting to us. Where, where is your identity lie? In what kind of citizenship? In what kind of position? In what things that really upset you and get you frustrated? It's about to get even worse, guys. It's not even close to November yet. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I have it for you on the projector as well. Verses 18 through 21 is some of my favorite verses when we talk about this citizenship, ambassadorship. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is a beautiful phrase. If you could just kind of tuck that away in your mind for this week. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Stop trying to survive this is words for somebody this morning. Stop trying to just survive through your life. You've been given the ministry or the service of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And I read that verse one time and it so physically affected me. Like that I am called not just to be a Christian, but I'm called to this ministry of reconciliation and to pleading with people. And, and sometimes I do this. You have to understand God's intention for you is to reconcile you to himself. He want, God is passionate about you knowing him. Can I get a witness? Man, if there's one thing I want anybody to know about God is not Old Testament, New Testament arguments and vengefulness or any of that baloney. It's that God is passionate. I'm not kidding. He's passionate about you knowing him. And he says that... that we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How powerful. Can you feel that verse? I don't know if it's just me. I can physically feel that verse when I read it. It affects me. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You've been called as ambassadors. As an ambassador, you go to a foreign country to represent, hopefully, the kingdom of righteousness, right? It's not America, I hate to tell you. It's the kingdom of righteousness. It's God's kingdom. And remember that this is coming from Matthew, who was a tax collector, who had given up on the Jews before, but he is a Jew. He, he identified and sided with the Romans, right? And now he's giving up on them, and he's found what was presented to him through Jesus Christ as the kingdom, the true kingdom, the kingdom of God. 
But for some reason, we can get off base a little bit and forget that our representation isn't of what our own, this is hard to say for me, right? It's not our own personal rights as much as it's our representation of the kingdom of heaven and our citizenship there. I like my own rights. Let's kind of set the stage in chapter 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in the harvest. And we concluded last week with with saying that I like how Jesus instructs them to pray for laborers instead of telling them to go be laborers. (laughs) Because in the prayer for laborers, God can call you to be a laborer, but you're actively asking him. And you had homework last week. Your homework was to be praying for laborers to be sent out. How many of you are praying for laborers to be sent out like your homework was? Same, same answer for service. You guys have the same homework this week. And if you don't do it, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't kick you out of church. That's kind of antithetical, I guess. I don't know. He tells them to pray for laborers to be sent out into the harvest. And, and we can hear that call in prayer. You know, God can say, all right, you've been praying for laborers. I'm going to send people out. I am sending people out. But guess what? I want you to go out too. I heard that call before to be a laborer. But he takes these and he calls them aside. He He tells them to pray for laborers. And then these 12 that we see, he sends them out. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now, the names of the 12 apostles were these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. I love that Matthew puts in the text that he wrote the gospel of Matthew. He says Matthew instead of me, Matthew. He says Matthew, the tax collector, which we know what that meant in that time. They were associated with prostitutes and, and, you know, the two terms were tax collectors and, do you remember? Sinners. (laughs) Tax collectors and sinners, he said. And one of the 12, me, the, the Matthew, I was the tax collector, reformed tax collector. The only kind of reform that I like to talk about is BCAD. These 12, Jesus sent out commanding them, saying, now, I just want to say, before we go through this list, this is a big block of red text. And what that means is, if you have a Bible that highlights the words of Jesus, they'll be in red. And he has a bunch of instruction in sending them out because he wants them to understand what they're getting themselves into. You see, Jesus is very good at, at preparing people for the things that they're going to go through in the future. He, he, he was constantly talking to his disciples, telling them what was going to happen in the future so that they weren't surprised. But guess what happened? 
they're always surprised for some reason. They're like, shocker, Jesus is dead. He's like, I literally told you that I was going to die. And how many of you go through life and get sideswiped, literally, you know, driving down the road or whatever, and, and you're shocked at why this can happen to me? Why me? What's going on? Now, like, you're going to go through difficult things. I hate to have to be the one to tell you. But by me telling you that you're going to go through difficult things, you can also take confidence, rest assured, that if you're going to go through difficult things, you're also going to go through really good things too. But for some reason, we always only tend to to focus on the bad things instead of the good things that God has in store for you too. And, And it would be better for us as a church family in Jesus to, to anticipate and look forward to, this is where the word hope comes from, an expectation of good things in the future. And where do those good things come from? They come from God. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, whom there is no varying or shifting a shadow. He's not trying to trick you. He's like, here's a, here's a gift. You ever seen that, that little gift where, you know, the, the mom is giving her little sweet little baby a, a, a piece of pizza? You know, it's like, here, baby, have some pizza. And then as soon as the baby closes his eyes and opens his mouth, he gets the broccoli right in the hole. And then it starts crying. Why would you do that? I would cry. If somebody was feeding me pizza and shoved in a broccoli into my mouth, you better believe I wouldn't be happy. That's child cruelty. And as funny as it is, because we're all cracking up, and you're going to go look it up if you haven't seen it, because it's totally funny. As funny as it is, God doesn't do that to you. He says, you're going to eat broccoli. And you say, no, I'm not. And he says, oh, yes, you are, (laughs) because it's good for you. And I'm telling you so that you're prepared for it. One of the things that I really struggled with before I got married as a single person, first of all, I was the most miserable single person on the planet. If you think you're pretty bad, then you don't come close to how bad I was. You can ask for stories. Megan thinks that I didn't take a shower for like two or three weeks. That's not true. It was more like a week, maybe two, (laughs) when Grace and I were separated for a moment. But be that as it may, As a single person, I was pretty frustrated because, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. And and I would seek the Lord and I would pray. And I knew that someday I was going to get married. But everybody told me, everybody who was anybody, I guess, told me that, Tim, maybe someday you're going to get married. And that's all good and well and fine. But the first year of marriage is the worst year of your life. Most difficult year. So get ready. And I thought, that's the most terrible thing to say to a single person like you think your life stinks now just wait till you get married and the first year is the worst year so because people told me that i started to pray to god who hears my voice and ask him i said god please because of all these naysayers and you don't like them because they're mean to me and my future wife um could you just allow whoever my wife is going to be, allow us to have the best first year ever. I'm not kidding when I I say to you, and and I don't want to be offensive to anybody that has struggled in marriage because marriage is the real deal. It's no joke. It is the most difficult thing that you will do in your life. 
is being married to somebody. All the women are nodding their heads. Not a man has made a move. Good for you guys. You've learned well. So when I got married, our first year of marriage for Grace and I was the best, literally the best year of my life. It was perfection. Now, year 15 was the hardest year, but no, seriously, it pales in comparison. All other years pale in comparison to that first year because it was, it was just so good. And if I told you the things that you, some of you have heard before, some of the things that happened to us in our first year of marriage, we had two miscarriages. The second miscarriage put Grace in the hospital for three days because she was in her second trimester in a foreign country with no family, living off of support from the states as missionaries on a, on a day-to-day basis. You can say month-to-month because we got our support once a month, but it was like day-to-day trying to make it through the day. Six months in, the pastor that we went to go serve with to help plant the church, him and his wife moved back to the States. We're left alone there. We started with a team of like 12 people to plant this church. Next thing you know, it's Grace and I. She's in the hospital for three days getting a DNC because of, because of uh, you know, the pregnancy. And it was literally the best year of our life. We still look back on that year and think, man, that was sweet. That was good. And it can be. But where do we place, what, what does our faith look like when we ask God for things? When we ask him for help in our marriage, are we really asking for help in our marriage? Or are we asking for it to be less painful? Are we praying for our spouse or are we praying for ourselves? Because <laughs> it's a lot easier for me to pray for myself than it is with my, for my difficult spouse when that topic comes up or that issue happens. Again, full circle, we're talking this morning in Matthew chapter 10 about having a different kind of mentality, and Jesus is calling them before he sends them out. He's calling them to warn them about some things and to tell them, this is what's going to happen. Be prepared. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus's message was a political message. (laughs) You guys like that as much as I like it? We're not allowed. I'm not allowed to talk about politics. Jesus's message was a political message. They were going to force him. You guys remember? They were going to force him to to be the king. And he slipped away. He's like, "Eh, not now. He's like, invisibility cloak. And he left because Jesus is cool and he can do things like that. He's like, now's not the right time. I will be declared, but I'm also going to be rejected. So he says, Go to the Israelites. I'm their Messiah. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Go to them first. And it didn't mean that the Gentiles couldn't receive the message of the Messiah or that he couldn't be their Messiah. It just was about the timing issue. Jesus had to be rejected. Now, this is important. Listen, Jesus had to be rejected so that you could be accepted. It's through his rejection, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, it's through his rejection that you find exception and favor 
in the sight of God. And the marriage supper of the Lamb, there's a big wedding feast. How many of you have a big wedding and you invite all your friends and family and all your friends and family have these super lame excuses of why they can't come to your wedding? It's my wedding! I'm getting married. Hopefully I only do that one time or whatever, you know. But I'm inviting you to my wedding and you can't come. Oh, my dad's dead. I got to go bury him. Oh, I just sold a lot of a piece of land. I sold my house. I got to go take care of the legal documentation for that. It's my wedding. And Jesus says that there's people making excuses so they don't have to go. So he says, you know, oh, fine, I don't care. I'm going to have people come to my wedding. He's going to go across the street to Sunset Park. And he's, everybody he bumps into, he's going to invite them over. And you know what the heart of the message that Jesus is communicating to the Jews and the Gentiles and all of the world? You are accepted by God. You know why? Because God is passionate about you knowing who he is. He's passionate about it. And if there's something that I could just scream from the rooftops, it's this, that God is passionate. He's passionate about you knowing who he is. This is the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not religiosity. It's not a bunch of rules. It's not a system of theology of thinking. It's he's passionate and will do whatever it takes, which was send his son to be murdered, to be tortured and murdered so that you could know that you're accepted or so that you can literally be accepted by the blood that his perfect son shed. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. You guys know that that's a beautiful verse, don't you? Freely you have received, freely give. What you have been given is so great and it was at no cost to you. Why is it so hard to give it back out? Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts nor bag for your journey nor two tunics nor sandals nor staffs for a worker is worthy of his food. Don't overthink this, you guys. You know, you're called to be ambassadors. You're like, Pastor Tim's getting all cranky on me again. He's telling me to pray for laborers. And he yelled at me for not doing my homework. And I don't even know if I'm thinking about finding a new church. And you know, Well, I hope he yells at you too. Be praying for people, but as you're engaging people out there, don't overthink it, okay? Just have a conversation. Just read your Bible and share a verse. Can you know how easy it is to say, hey, can I share? I read the Bible today. We're in line at the grocery store. Can I share this verse that I read? It's crazy. It's so cool. You don't even have to be a Christian. I don't care. You know, I mean, I kind of do, but secretly, and I'll share with you more if you want to know. But listen to this verse. Just don't overthink it. Don't you, you take an extra bag, extra money, two tunics, sandals, stab, you get all this. You're going to be taken care of not only by me, because Jesus, God says that he's going to take care of you, but <clears throat> you have a message that people are going to receive and, and you're worth your, your weight in, in food for that message. This is good news you're giving. People are going to take care of you. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go in into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. 
<laughs> and whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Listen, what is the number one reason that you don't share your faith with other people? You guys know. What's your number one reason that you don't share a Bible verse with the person behind you in line at the grocery store? Fear. Fear. Your f fear of rejection, fear of judgment. What are they going to think about me? I... You're never going to see that person again, probably. Or they could get saved and start coming to church with you on Sundays. I've seen that happen. So you should be really afraid. I'm kidding. You shouldn't be afraid. That would be a good thing, right? Gotcha. Thank you. One person understands what I'm saying. Fear prohibits us from sharing our faith with people on a regular basis. And he says, if they reject you, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, and I'm going to hold them accountable for it. Which gives me great, you know, I'm like, great, I'll share the gospel. If, if you reject me, you're going to hell. No, that's not the, that should not be the motivation. Even though I have said I do share the gospel with people that I don't like, so they'll leave me alone sometimes. It's just because the name of Jesus drives people. We're going to talk more about that. We're getting behind, so let's keep going. Don't worry about it. Get out there. Don't overthink it. Don't take too much supplies you're going to be taking care of. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Man, you don't have to worry. You don't have to prep and get all ready with your notes and everything. No. You're going to be delivered to governors, and kings and the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, they're going to ask you, what is your problem? What is wrong with you? Because your mentality, your thinking is so dramatically different from the rest of the world that it's going to be noticeable. Your relationships are going to be different. Your philosophy is going to be different because you're kingdom-minded you're otherworldly minded. You're not about everybody else is about. You're not about your own personal privileges. You know, one of the most annoying things that I hear on a regular basis is, it's my right. I just want to smack somebody across the face when they say, it's my right. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. It's going to be so different. Your thinking is going to be so different uh, um, that, Verse 21, now brother will deliver brother up to death and a father his child and the children will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death and you will be hated by all for my namesake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. This is radical and it's not even getting better. If we, if we read to the end of this chapter, it's gonna say, 
So mothers against daughters, mother-in-laws against daughter-in-laws, they're going to all be, and, and you know why? Because everything is tolerance. Everything is okay. I'm just trying to wake you guys up. Everything is fine when you talk about spirituality and throwing things out to the universe and karma and all that garbage. Everything is fine. But as soon as you bring up the name of Jesus Christ, people lose their mind. They lose their mind, and they don't any longer have to be tolerant to me. And I'm not going out looking for a fight. Y'all know that? I'm not looking for a fight. I'm not trying to box you. I'm not starting a war. I'm just talking about the kingdom of God. I'm just talking about Jesus Christ, and people lose their minds. But everything else is just, did you notice that? You notice that? Everything else is just fine. You can have whatever bumper stickers on your car that you want. You can talk about energies and crystals and whatever you want. Everybody's all fine with that. But as soon as you start, start talking about Jesus, brother's going to betray brother. And father's going to betray his children. Because this is why, listen, this is why. Because the process of thinking as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, is so radically different from the rest of the entire world. We've got to get there, though. He says, a disciple is not above his master in verse 24. Verse 23, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he is like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them. What was that? That's good instruction, right? Therefore, do not Fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, you saw how they treated me, you guys. The servant is not greater than the master. The disciple is not better than the teacher. Listen, I'm the teacher. You're the student. They're not going to treat. If they're calling me, remember they just said, oh, he casts out demons by Beelzebub. He's like, if, if they call me Beelzebub, then, then you're of Beelzebub's household. They're going to say the same thing about you. Don't be surprised when you suffer rejection, but rejection is the worst thing that we can face. We all have our flaws. Does anybody have flaws here besides me? Just want to make sure real quick. But I'll be very transparent with you. I suffer from a severe case of of fear of rejection. Like, it is the number one thing that, that, that is my number one problem. Like, for some reason, like, I need people to accept me. I just have a huge, like, if you don't return my text, I hate, I literally will never talk to you again. I'm like, I texted you. You didn't text me back, okay? It's that fear of rejection. She know, so you know what God, and I grew up that way. So what God does, did is he said, okay, Timothy, Mr. Fear of Rejection, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you in Eastern Europe for 10 years and all you're going to do on a daily basis is be rejected by everybody. 
Literally, you are an immigrant. You are a nobody. You're trying to tell people about me, and they're not rejecting you. I need you to understand that they're rejecting me. I'm the proverbial kid that has to learn things the hard way. Do you know what I'm saying? You get that sometimes? you got to learn the hard way. God says, here you go. Boom, planted me in a, in a season of perpetual rejection for 10 years. So now I'm okay with rejection. I'm a little bit better, okay? I, I will text you again or call you. Two chances. Strike three. No, I'm just kidding. But we all have that intrinsic fear of rejection. It's part of our makeup. You know why? Because we were created. <laughs> you and I were created for fellowship. We're created to, you know, have relationship with each other. And, and that's just that's a picture. It's a shadow of you being created. It's not good for a man to be alone. I can testify to that, Lord. I, I was alone before. You were created to have a relationship, and that's a shadow of God's passion to have a relationship with you. His passion to have you understand who he is. My Probably my favorite verse in the Bible, you guys are probably sick and tired of hearing me quote it every single Sunday. John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they would know you, gnoskos, have an experiential understanding and knowledge of who God is by having a relationship with him. That is the definition of eternal life. It's not when you die, you live forever. It's today entering into a right relationship with God and understanding and knowing who he is because he is all passionate about you understanding that. That's why the, the, the Bible makes such clear, emphatic statements like, if you seek me, you will find me. Because it's, it's, it's against that theory for God to say, if you seek me, I'm going to run away from you. And you're not going to find me. You're never going to find me. You're going to want to know who I am, and I'm never going to reveal who I really am to you. It's the opposite of God's heart. And the thinking, the mentality is, if you identify with me, if you're mine, you've been accepted. When people reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, verse 27. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Kind of speaks for itself, I think. No comment. Or not two sparrows sold for a copper coin. Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will and the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Some of you are less than others. Do not fear, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think, this is the tough, this is the, the question of the century, of the millennia. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, you might notice that I said sword because that's how you say that word because it's S-W-O-R-D. But anyway, you, you might notice that this is Jesus talking. You know, like 
fun going, easy peasy kind of Jesus wants to love everybody, you know. He says, I did not come to being, bring peace to the earth, but I came to bring a sword. Now, he's not wielding a sword, is he? <laughs> I get this kind of mental picture in my head whenever Jesus is talking. He's like, you know, he's like, hey, guys, I didn't, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. And he, you know, pulls a sword out and starts slaying people. No, Jesus didn't do that because that's not what he was talking about. What, what do you think he was talking about? He was talking about, in context of what we're covering, the kingdom of God and how it's so radically different connected to fathers giving up on their children or or handing their children over. It's so dramatically different that it's going to cause severe division because when you think as a kingdom-minded citizen, you're going to be doing things exactly contrary to the rest of the world. And even to those, if you're a true Christian, even to those who are the closest to you, because that has the greatest sphere of influence in your life, those who are the closest to you, right? So you become a born-again believer, and you know, somebody cuts you off on the street, and you get mad, and you yell at them, ah, whatever, but you never see that person again, and whatever is whatever, right? But you go home, and you talk to your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, whatever, your closest family members, and you start telling them how Jesus changed your life, and they start looking at you a little bit differently, don't they? Conversations change, and it's gotten so bad that we don't experience that so much here, but we experienced people, think about this, forsaking their own children because they converted to Christianity. And I use those words very specifically. They came to know who God was, and that relationship, because of the mentality shift, was so dramatic that it changed all the other relationships that they had in their life. Does that make sense to you? You've been born again. You're a new creation. The old things have gone away. All things have been made new. You should be looking like a different person, not because you're trying, not because you're forcing it, not because you're required to, but now you are housed the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who brings convictions to you that you never had before. You know, I have people, especially in ministry, you know, they come to me and they say, hey, Pastor Tim, you need to go talk to that person. They're living in sin. I found out this and this and that and that. And I'm like, first of all, why don't you talk to them? Forgot my pastor card at home. I'm the only one that has difficult conversations with people about their secret sin issues. Number two, have you prayed for that person? Like, honestly, have you said, God, would you reveal to them that that is wrong? You know how many times I've had people come to me and say, I, I just been ever since I started walking with the Lord and 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 became a Christian, I just it really bothers me when I look at porn. I don't know what's wrong. It's it's just weird. Like, yeah, that is weird, huh? I don't think I'm gonna do it anymore. That's probably good. And I I bet your wife would be super stoked too, you know, that but don't know where that came from. The Holy Spirit is the one that guides you into these things in life and, and you start to live differently and it and it so affects you personally. You know, I'm, now, we all still have our, our struggles that we have. We're not perfect after we, co- we become believers, right? But the process of sanctification in your life is that you are working through those issues. Well, 
as much as God is working on you through those issues, and you can move on. For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Well, that's the only one that really makes sense. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Just kidding, guys. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Very powerful words. We go throughout life trying to find our life. It is the definition of existence. And Jesus counterculture against what everybody in the world is saying says no when you lose your life that's when you'll find it and if there is not a truer statement that i could be more emphatic to you guys about this morning truly until you give up and 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 give in to God, your creator, you're not going to experience what abundant real life truly looks like. In any relationship, this is just the point that Jesus is getting across, okay? Any relationship that is more important than God's passion to have a relationship with you, okay, it can't com be compared to God's passion, right? Any relationship that is more important than, than God's heart in pursuing you and saving you, it's not worth anything. That's why we say, you know, when we do marriage counseling and things or we do counseling with people, if, 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 if God is number one, okay, then everything else seems to start to come together. You start loving your, your wife differently, your husband differently, your, your coworkers differently, your boss <laughs> differently. Because Jesus is number one and it puts all of those other relationships in perspective. When your citizenship or being part of the family of God is put in the right perspective, he who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in, a, in, in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, <clears throat> I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Now there's weird people everywhere. You guys, have you ever met weird people before? There's weird people that take this verse in the Bible and they twist it and they say, well, I'm a prophet. And if you receive what I have to say, I will give you a prophet's reward. And that's not ex that's not at all what what this verse is saying. What is a prophet? Let's just break it down to be very simple. What is a prophet? A prophet is somebody that speaks absolute truth. If you are a prophet, you will be speaking absolute tr truth. If you are a false prophet, you will not be speaking absolute truth. So what the verse is saying, if you receive a prophet, what are you going to be receiving? Absolute truth. Is that good or bad? It's really good because it's, it's really the foundation of your entire belief system. I can receive something from a prophet, then I'm, I'm receiving absolute truth. I'm receiving something good. Um, how many of you like to hang out with, with people that take advantage of you? You know, like always you, I've got this 
funny joke. I, I, I'm very meticulous about everything I do through every day, and I'm very intentional about putting my wallet in my back pocket before I leave the house. It's the last thing that I do. I put my wallet in my pocket and I take my key. So it's very, 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 very infrequent that I forget my wallet because it's part of the process of my day. And there's this one friend that I've gone out to lunch with like the last four times, three times I forgot my wallet that day. And I'm trying to explain to him, this is not normal for me. Like it's a sign or something. Like I'm sorry that you had to pay for my lunch again, but I forgot my wallet. He's well off anyway, so it doesn't matter. <clears throat> but you don't like hanging out with those kind of people, right? Do you? No. What, what kind of people that you like? do you like hanging out with? Righteous people, right? Righteous. What, why? Why do you like hanging out with righteous people? Because they do what's right. Gotcha? So if you hang out with the righteous man, what's the righteous man's reward? <laughs> Doing the right thing being confident of that. What's the prophet's reward? Receiving absolute truth. And he says the people that that you hang out with are not going to accept you for who you are. We get our identity all twisted up in this. They're not going to accept you for who you are. They're accepting me for who I am. And the prophecy that you speak over people's life is absolute truth that comes from me. And the righteous man's reward isn't you being right or, or you figuring out how to do things right. It's my righteousness being lived out through your life. And even giving a cup of cold water to one of the disciples, they will by no means lose their reward. I've got five, the five things for you this morning that we're going to wrap up and, and, and close up with. Number one, you can see up on the projector, he gave them power. And sometimes we forget that we have been given power just like these 12 disciples, that we have been given power to get through life on a daily basis. Make sure that we become more cognizant of that and, 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 and relate it to, equate it to, apply it to our lives. Number two, he told them where to go. And just like he told his disciples where to go, guess what? <laughs> you know, he told you where to go to. Where you are is where you are in this job that you have, in this season of retirement that you have, in this marriage that you have, you have been surrounded by a group of people that God wants to touch through your life. He told them where to go. Number three, he prepared them for difficulty. Now, nobody wants to say you're going to have a difficult season or you're going to go through a difficulty. Nobody really wants to say that, but I'll say it to you. And this is why I'm confident and okay with saying it with you. Number one, it's true. You're going to go through difficulty in life, period. That is what life looks like. But I will also say you're also going to go through incredible mountaintop glorious seasons because that's what God's heart is for you. That's what expectation in him, hope in him is. It's taking you through did I say into? Taking you through the valley of the shadow of death. Still got to go there, but you're not setting up shop, right? You're not building the house. I like that plot of land down here in the valley of death. I'm just going to live here for a little bit. No, you're going through. He prepares a table for you. How many of you guys like food? I love food prepares a table of food for you in the presence of your enemies. 
difficult seasons not as uh, the good seasons is not as good without the difficult seasons is it like the flowers don't grow without the rain or some corny thing like that number four he told them what to say not only did he tell you but he said you don't even have to remember because when you're put in those difficult situations you have the holy spirit and the holy spirit is going to speak through you have you ever been talking to somebody and and thought to yourself this happens to me from time to time you thought to yourself this is not me this is really solid good stuff right now and i don't know where it came from I didn't even know this stuff. Like, it's just coming out. The Holy Spirit will speak through you. Kind of like how I felt this whole Bible study. You guys feel that? I'm just kidding. It was, it was prepared, like prayed over. Number five, he was bringing a counterculture revolution. Jesus wanted to talk politics. <laughs> he wanted to talk politics. And he was going to flip the whole world upside down to the point where there are certain people who are going to hate you because you just want to bring up that sweet, sweet name of Jesus. They want to literally punch you in the face. Everything else is okay, but not do not say that name. Amen? You can say it. Say it. Let's pray. Hey, good job. You guys are rock rocking father thank you for your children for for your church thank you father for for your word to us this morning and that um it is really so applicable for us it's so spot on with where we find ourselves right now maybe some of us going through difficult situations maybe some of us in a blessed season whatever the case may be that we are called to be your ambassadors. You've given us the ministry of reconciliation because you are passionate. There's no price that you would not pay. You are passionate about people knowing who you are. We love you. We want to be that. God, we want to be good ambassadors for your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.